0: Now, to continue reading from the Courier-Journal for Sunday, March 19, 2023. Your reader is Kathy Cleary. We will start with the obituaries. We read only the name, age, and location if given. If you would like further information on any of the obituaries, please call us during the weekdays at 859-422-6390 and we'll be glad to read the entire obituary for you. I will repeat that number at the end of today's listings. Today's obituaries and death notices. John Henry Allen, 83, Louisville. Wendell Owen Baker, 61, Vine Grove. Mary Anita Barton, 95, Louisville. Susan Boss, 73, Clarksville. Margaret Ann Box, known as Peg, no age or town given. Pat Brinksneider, 86, of Troy. Charles Edwin Bruner, known as Eddie, 74, Louisville. Charles Burgess, 93, from Mammoth Cave. Glenn Neal Callaway, known as Bud, 78, Madison. Pat Taylor Chapman, 76, Sulphur. Rita Clark, 73, Shelbyville. Betty Jo Cohen, 77, Eminence. Jack Compton, Jr., 74, Jeffersonville. Justin Hughes Cook, 37, Vincennes. Philip Cook, 68, Lawrenceburg. Caitlin Coyle, 34, Canelton. The next two are from Louisville. Alice Elaine Craig, 77, and Alice Marie Starcher Crane, 84, both of Louisville. Danny Cronin, 58, of Gatchell. Daniel K. Crump, 73, Louisville. James W. Kurtzinger, 62, Mount Washington. Veronica June Darling, 75 of Louisville. Norma Jean Wolfe Endress, known as Janie, 91 New Albany. Stephen Douglas Evans Sr., 54 Louisville. John S. Ferris, 81 Russellville. Pauline Johnson, Fightmaster, 88, no town given. Buck Flint, 82, no town given. The next three are from Louisville. Betty Faye Fox, 71, Starla Fultonier, 43, and Ruth Frank Goldstein, 76, all of Louisville. Bonnie Goodlet, 76, Lawrenceburg. Helen Gordon, 79, Cadiz. Barbara Graham, 75, Glasgow Georgia Anna Porter Grash age one hundred Otisco, Indiana, Victor Gurl sixty eight, Louisville, Rodney Harris sixty three, Newcastle, Joanne Harris eighty two, Louisville, Everett Ray Hayes ninety two, Louisville, Glenna Ruth Hines ninety one, No Town Given. Virginia Herald, 76, no town given. The next two are from Louisville. Maricita Huglin, 95, and Douglas Reed Hilbert, 77. Deborah Lynn Hurl, H-O-E-R-L, 67, Bucyrus, Kansas. Hank Horseman, known as Gangster, 65, Smithfield. Robert Kerr, 61, Litchfield. Anne Elizabeth Coke, 93, no town given. Charles Court, known as Charlie, 64, Marysville. Anthony Leatherman, 51, Louisville. And Carol Regina Lewis, 69, Louisville. Teresa Lucas, 64, New Albany. Leonard Marion Jr, 68, Hardensburg. Sonia Symey Marksberry, 51, Utica. Corey Weldon Merrow, 38, Glendale. Glenda Sue McDowell, 77, Central City. John McLeish, 87, Greensburg. Robert McQueen, age 70, and Martha Ann marent Mailing. 86, both of Louisville. Jackie Miles, 94, Owensboro. The next two are from Louisville. Marianne Moore, 88, and David Michael Mensch 54. Dennis Mullen, 75, no town given. <clears throat> Lisa Ann Murphy, 55, Louisville. Roger Nichols, 83, Underwood. Evan Glenn Oxley, seventy-one of Eckerty. Barbara Royal T. Stratton Pennington, eighty-three, no town given. Annie Nadine Perry, eighty-five, Louisville. Edna Sue Pruitt, eighty-seven, Evanston. The next three are from Louisville: the Right Rev. David Benson Reed, ninety-six. May S. Richardson, age 30, and Faye C. Robinson, 74, all of Louisville. Dalton Rohrer, 84, of Beech Grove. Jeanette Rose, 87, Elizabethtown. Mary Catherine Rosenbaum, 71, Louisville. Nelson Santa Maria, age 70, Hodgenville. Betty Lee E. Schleinz, 87, Mount Washington. Robert Charles Sears Sr., 87, Louisville. Anna M. Sharp, 87, Carrollton. Charles Wend- Wendell Spencer, 87, Louisville. The next three are also from Louisville. Donnie Ray Stewart, 76, Joseph John Stuckenborg III, 75, and Joanne H. Thomas, 93, all of Louisville. Sam Trimble Jr., 76, Danielle Marie Florio-Turns, M.D., 86, no towns given for either of those. Hayes Harnett Wienemann, no age or town given. Peggy Yount Walters, 62, of Madison. Thomas Randall Waite, 82, of Hopkinsville. Joyce Marie Keefe Wilding. There's an error on the age. She was from Louisville. Everett Lavoy Williams, 92, Louisville. Christy Dawn Willis, 48, Corydon. Jane Wilson, 79, Louisville. Robert O'Neill Wilson, 87, Brandenburg. The last two are from Louisville. Arthur Cameron Wilson, Sr., 81, and Robert Zeller, Jr., known as Bob, 75, both of Louisville. If you would like further information about any of today's listings, call us on any weekday at 859-422-6390, and we will be glad to read the entire item to you. Now, back to local news. Tickets to Beyoncé's Louisville show are still available by Ray Johnson. Are folks who got Beyoncé tickets during the first wave of sales the only ones who will be in the crowd this summer in Louisville? A quick peek at seats for the pop star's upcoming performance set for July 17th at the recently named L&N Federal Credit Union Stadium, says no, there are still plenty of resale options for those who didn't get tickets when they first hit the market. They're not as expensive as you might think either if you based your expectations around resale prices from February for the Love on Top singer's first shows in cities like Toronto and Chicago. Here's what it could cost you now to see the Pop Superstars Renaissance Tour Show in Louisville. The least expensive seats on Ticketmaster as of March 16th are around $60. They'll get you a spot at some of the furthest seats from the stage in sections 306 to 312. Tickets in other upper level sections are also available for around $80. If you want a closer view, there are hundreds of tickets. Starting around the $100 mark and going for up to $210 on the 200 level of the stadium. Tickets on the 100 level and field are going between $150 and $500 right now, but that excludes seats closest to the stage or included in VIP packages. For those intimate and VIP experiences, guests will still pay the premium. Tickets in the Club Renaissance section that face the stage in a semicircle and have a bar nearby are nearly $900. VIP riser seats that directly face the stage will run you a little more than $1,800. And there were only 25 of them on sale as of Thursday. Tickets for VIP A and B sections, where there's standing room only, start at $2,509 but the number of tickets was limited as of Thursday morning. Some of Beyoncé's first resale tickets were listed at $11,000 or $12,000, depending on the city. SeatGeek had ticket, had tickets priced at 400 tagged as a good deal in Chicago. So why did ticket prices surge so high? Skyrocketing ticket prices for big-name celebs has been the trend for a while, due to an algorithm called dynamic pricing, which analyzes real-time market supply and demand, similar to how airline tickets and ride shares are priced. Stars including Bruce Springsteen, Paul McCartney, and Harry Styles have all used dynamic pricing to sell tickets, and it's a big reason why some Taylor Swift tickets never made it to the public market last year. Firearm Sanctuary Bill goes to Bashir, would prohibit local enforcement of U.S. laws. This piece is by Olivia Krauth, Dateline Frankfurt. Kentucky lawmakers gave a Second Amendment Sanctuary Bill to Governor Andy Bashir for consideration Wednesday. House Bill 153, sponsored by Representative Josh Bray, a Republican from Mount Vernon, would prohibit local law enforcement agencies in Kentucky from enforcing federal firearm regulations. Similar measures have been found unconstitutional in other states because state laws can't override federal ones. It slowly but consistently advanced out of the House and through the Senate over the last several weeks. After debating the bill's constitutionality and potential impact on law enforcement Wednesday afternoon, the Senate voted 27 to 9 to approve the bill. Republican Senators Danny Carroll, David Givens, and Chris McDaniel joined the chamber's six Democrats in voting against the bill. Since the Senate did not change the bill from its initial state, it does not need to go back to the House for concurrence and will go straight to Bashir's desk. Bashir will have 10 days to either sign the bill into law, let it become law without his signature, or veto it. Lawmakers will will meet Thursday before adjourning for the veto period. They will return March 29th and 30th to override vetoes and pass any final bills before ending the 2023 legislative session. In other news, Storm raises question of burying power lines. It's great protection against wind and ice, but it's expensive. This article is by Billy Coben and Connor Connor Giffen. The windstorm that hit Louisville and a huge swath of Kentucky earlier in March, resulting in power outages for hundreds of thousands of residents, helped resurface a key question. Why don't utility companies and governments bury more power lines to better protect them from the elements? The answer from Louisville Gas and Electric hasn't really changed over the years. It costs a pretty penny to do so. In November 2018, after an ice storm resulted in over 100,000 power outages for LG&E customers in Kentucky, the utility said it costs about $1 million to bury power lines. Fast forward to 2023, an LG&E spokeswoman, Liz Pratt, said the general rule of $1 million per mile for distribution still applies today. And the general rule of thumb to underground transmission is 10 to $15 million per mile, with those costs not including cable, internet, or phone lines. After the Hurricane Ike windstorm in 2008 and ice storm in 2009, LG&E and KU analyzed the costs of undergrounding all of its transmission and distribution lines, and found that it would cost $40 billion to underground existing transmission lines, and $24 billion for existing distribution lines. Pratt told the Courier Journal in an email. Cities or neighborhoods that make the request are responsible for paying for the cost per LG&E, but advocates and others and officials in other cities have noted customers often end up footing the cost and LG&E has warned burying power lines would likely lead to even longer power outages due to more complex repairs required for underground instead of overhead lines. Pratt said burying power lines is not a solution pre- preventing power outages altogether. Other factors and weather conditions can affect the integrity of underground utilities and they aren't immune to problems, Pratt said. Additionally, in urban areas like the Highlands, it is especially concerning because of the disruption to homes and businesses it would create. Burying the lines would require tearing up roads and sidewalks and would impact traffic and economic development. Performing maintenance and repairing underground power lines can be much more difficult and time-consuming when something fails, because it can be difficult to determine the precise location of the problem, Pratt also said. Underground power lines must also be located and then excavated before troubleshooting can even begin. Additionally, other weather, weather factors, like snow on the ground in the wintertime, can further complicate repair and restoration efforts for underground utilities. Still, some areas of Louisville particularly those with new subdivisions and commercial development, have underground power lines, with the U.S. Energy Information Administration explaining that is often the least expensive type of undergrounding project as undergrounding costs are reduced when earth-moving equipment is already being used to prepare a building site. Avoiding the overhead power line damage commonly seen after severe storms is part of the case for going underground but it's not all roses when lines are underground, especially in an Ohio River City like Louisville that experiences flooding from time to time. Buried power lines are protected from the wind, ice, and tree damage that are common causes of outages, and so suffer fewer weather or vegetation-related outages. But buried lines are more vulnerable to flooding and can still fail due to equipment issues or lighting the Energy Information Administration said. Problems with underground lines are harder to locate and repair. Underground distribution circuits are typically still linked to above-ground facilities, such as substations and transmission lines, so homes and buildings served by underground infrastructure will not necessarily be spared in the event of system-wide outages from a major storm. Cities like San Antonio, Texas, Tacoma, Washington, and Colorado Springs, Colorado have adopted comprehensive plans to relocate power lines underground. According to Scenic America, a national nonprofit focused on fighting visual pollution. More areas that have suffered from severe weather events may opt for underground electric lines, particularly in California where Pacific Gas and Electric has paid millions to settle lawsuits after its power lines played a role in sparking major wildfires in recent years. Clint Andrews, an urban planning professor at Rutgers University, told Marketplace last year that more minor concerns over the visual aesthetics of power lines that obstruct downtown skyline views are sometimes present. It looks nicer when you don't have a bunch of wires everywhere, Andrews said later. And that's a strong consideration, especially in wealthier communities or new urbanist-type communities where they're trying to go for an aesthetic that feels uncluttered and appears friendly. And the ever-important topic of property values is a factor, with past studies showing homes near power lines are valued less than similar homes farther from the lines lg and described the storm system that blew through the Ohio River Valley March 3rd as its third worst weather event in the past two decades, with over 500,000 residents in the Commonwealth without power at one point. The storm beat Louisville's all-time record for low pressure, according to the National Weather Service, producing winds of up to roughly 80 miles per hour that lasted for hours. Governor Andy Bashir said at least five residents from Bath, Edmondson, Logan, Fayette, and Simpson counties died in the storm, which shuttered schools and local businesses. At the worst time for outages, more than 80,000 people in Jefferson County were without power. And next, in Metro City Council news, Metro Council selects new member, to fill District Eight seat. This piece is by Billy Coben. Louisville Metro Council members voted Thursday to pick Ben Reno Weber to fill the District 8 seat that Cassie Chambers Armstrong vacated after winning election to the State Senate. The 25 sitting Metro Council members needed five rounds of voting Thursday evening to determine the winner with Reno Weber ultimately receiving 14 votes and Joe Lloyd Triplett following with 11 votes. Metro Council interviewed 18 applicants Monday for the seat before making the appointment Thursday. Reno Weber, a Democrat, works for the University of Louisville as the deputy director of the Humana Health Equity Innovation Hub. He previously served as director of the Microsoft Future of Work initiative during Mayor Greg Fisher's administration, project director for the Greater Louisville Project, and in roles with MobileServe, Kentucky YMCA Youth Association, Boston Consulting Group, and World Bank Group. He also has volunteered and continues to volunteer with various local community groups and boards. I call myself a social entrepreneur because I believe entrepreneurship is a mindset, not a sector," Reno Weber wrote in his application for the seat. I believe that the issues we face are best understood by the people closest to the problems, regardless of whether those people are community members, business people, nonprofit leaders, or government employees. I also believe that collaboration, innovation, and entrepreneurship should be at the heart of how we address our collective challenges. District 8 includes numerous neighborhoods and home rural cities southeast of downtown Louisville. Included in the district are Belknap, Bonny Castle, Bowman, Cherokee, Seneca, Cherokee Triangle, Deer Park, Gardner Lane, Hawthorne, Hayfield Dundee, Highlands, Highlands Douglas, and Tyler Park and parts of Bonaire, Cherokee Gardens, Germantown, and Irish Hill. It also includes the home rural cities of Kingsley, Seneca Gardens, Strathmore Manor, and Strathmore Village. Chambers Armstrong, a Democrat, had represented District 8 since winning election in 2020. Last month, she defeated Republican candidate Misty Glynn in the special election for the State Senate District 19 seat that U.S. Representative Morgan McGarvey gave up to successfully run for Congress. The 26-member Metro Council has 17 Democrats and nine Republicans. The new District 8 representative joins recently appointed District 3 and District 6 representatives, Kumar Rashad and Philip Baker, as the freshest faces on Metro Council. The council has seen a busy period for turnover with seven new members also winning election last fall. The appointment process for Metro Council could change going forward. Earlier Thursday, Kentucky lawmakers sent a bill requiring special elections for vacant Metro Council seats in certain cases to Governor Andy Beshear's desk. The District 8 seat will appear on November ballots as part of a special election. And all even-numbered council districts are also up for election in 2024. In US. news data, women outnumbered as execs, men are 83 percent of top officers in the S & P 100 firms. This piece is by Jessica Gwynn and Jamie Fraser of USA Today. Who runs Corporate America? Men do. Women are outnumbered 5 to 1 in senior leadership, according to a USA Today analysis of named executive officers at the nation's 100 top publicly traded companies. These corporate leaders are the CEO, the chief financial officer, and other people who serve in a handful of top paid roles. Men are 83% of the 533 named executive officers in S&P 100 corporations, USA Today found. But despite efforts to shrink the gender gap, from removing structural barriers to promoting more women, women are still far less likely than men to hold the top positions or bring home the top compensation. That's even more common for women of color. They are outnumbered by men 26 to 1, In the S&P leadership ranks, a gap five times wider than the disparity for white women. We need diversity across the board, but unfortunately in America, said Jennifer Seibel Newsom, a documentary filmmaker and women's advocate who is married to California Governor Gavin Newsom. Disadvantages for women in the workplace, too few advancement opportunities, too little flexibility, unequal treatment, have existed for years and only become worse during the COVID pandemic. Sandra Rivera says she was passed over for promotion for 10 years at Intel because she didn't want to uproot her family and relocate to the company's headquarters on the West Coast. She didn't care where Rivera lived. Racial diversity, after the 2020 murder of George Floyd, primarily boosted the fortunes of men. Black men held 19 named executive officer positions in 2022, up from 14 in 2020. Still, they would need to hold twice as many of those jobs to match their share of the wider workforce. Hispanic men gained two top jobs, although they remain far short of parity with the broader workforce. Asian men gained no ground. In total, men of color gained seven top jobs from 2020 to 2022 out of the more than 500 named executives listed by the nation's 100 largest companies. Women of color, who are the least represented, only gained three. Transforming the demographics of power in corporate America won't be easy, says Kelly McElhaney, founding director of the Center for Equity, Gender, and Leadership at University of California, Berkeley's Haas School of Business. It's going to take people in power stepping back and relinquishing some of their power to people who have historically been shut out from those rare few golden seats, McElhaney said. This piece was edited due to time constraints. This concludes excerpts from today's Courier Journal for Sunday, March 19, 2023. Your reader has been Kathy Cleary. Thank you for listening and please stay tuned for continued programming on Radio Eye.